Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. Upward basketball got off to a great start yesterday. Thank you for those that came out to, to hang out, to help out. And we had a great turnout uh, with, from the community and just a really awesome day. A long day of, of uh, basketball and cheerleading. But man, we had a, we had a really good time. I'm really proud of our church and just a lot, of, a lot of good fun. This afternoon, we'll be having a celebration for the life of Mrs. Kathy Broyles here in the church at 2 o'clock. One of our longtime, uh, very faithful church members. She graduated this week, and we'll be honoring her this afternoon at two. So uh, everyone's invited to come and and uh, be here for that as well. This morning we're going to continue going through the Word together, and I've, I've loved hearing all these conversations throughout the week. Uh, different people talking about what they're reading, people talking about what they're getting from their D groups, and and some of these really great deep biblical conversations and it just makes me it makes me proud as a pastor to hear about our people going deeper into the word and being excited about that and I know my group met this week and we got into some I mean sometimes we talk about just foolish stuff I'll be honest but we got into some really really deep uh, biblical truths this week and it's just such a good time as we say going through the word together today we're going to be breaking over into the book of exodus we'll be in exodus chapter three if you want to go ahead and turn there in your bibles we left off last week towards the end of genesis with the story of joseph uh, such a fascinating life and, and we talked a lot about this in my d group just joseph's life and how god was at work all throughout this man's entire life every single moment So from where we left off last week, from that moment forward, uh, there's a family reunion that takes place in Egypt. As Jacob's whole family, him and all of his sons and their wives and children, they all move down to Egypt to be cared for by Joseph. And Jacob's family thrives in Egypt. God, remember, he, he has to get Jacob and all of his family to Egypt where they can grow and multiply and become what would be the nation of Israel. And then eventually he'll pull them out of that place. We'll be looking at that this morning. But they do very well. And in Exodus chapter 1 says something very tragic. The book opens up and it tells us that a new king, in such a short amount of time, a new king or a new pharaoh came to power who did not know about Joseph. Can, can you believe that? I mean, we forget so quickly, don't we? And we were talking about this week in my D group. Think about some of the things you hear. I know when I was growing up and we talked about the founding fathers in school and we talked about American history, we were proud of the men, the the godly men that that helped found this nation. And then just such a short time later, I mean, you just hear so many people ridiculing it and and we're ashamed of our own founding fathers in this nation. We forget very quickly. So they forgot about Joseph and all the things that he did to save the nation and make the nation prosperous. And from that moment on, when this Pharaoh becomes the ruler, 
Things become increasingly difficult for God's people, for God's chosen people. They're enslaved, their children are murdered. And God told Abraham, remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 15, we saw these words where God told Abraham this was going to happen, that his offspring would be enslaved for 400 years, but that he would judge the nation that oppressed them, and they would actually end up leaving there with many of their possessions. So during all this time, God continued his grand plan of redemption and he infiltrates the royal Egyptian palace with this little baby, this Hebrew baby by the name of Moses. And we most of us know the story of Moses, how Pharaoh was killing the Hebrew babies and his parents put him in the Nile River and he's rescued from the Nile and he, he's taken to uh, Pharaoh's daughter's home and he's raised in the royal palace in Pharaoh's family. He grows up He murders an Egyptian for mistreating a Hebrew. He runs away and he becomes, of all things, a shepherd for his father-in-law in in the wilderness. And it's in the meantime, in the wilderness, that God, one, calls Moses out for his purpose. And also God makes himself known, really for the very first time, to the rest of the world. Look at Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Meanwhile... Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When Moses saw that he had gone to over, over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here am I, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and websites, and parasites, and civil rights. I made that part up. So, because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I've also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Now get this. Therefore, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I'm the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. And then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is how I'm to be remembered in every generation. Like Joseph, Moses' life is is pretty incredible. And it's amazing that you can break it down into three uh, equal parts. He spends 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and then 40 years doing whatever it is that God tells him to do next. And D.L. Moody said that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking that he was somebody. And then the next 40 years of his life learning that he was actually a nobody. And then he spends the final 40 years of his life discovering what God can do with a nobody. Five lessons this morning from this story in Exodus chapter 3. And the first is that God appears to those who are looking. Verses 1 through 5. I believe that Moses needed this time in the wilderness to prepare for the task that God would place before him. Just like Joseph needed the pit and Joseph needed the prison and he had to go through that time before God placed him in the palace, Moses needed 40 years in the wilderness to purge himself from the first 40 years of growing up in this pagan dark place called Egypt. And on this fateful day, God kind of drops Moses a line and Moses sees this, this burning bush and, and he looks at it, the way the language is in the, in the Bible, he looks at it more intently. And he realizes this is no ordinary thing. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. I, there was a church one time that said they had the ashes to the burning bush. It didn't burn. It's, I never figured that part out. But anyway, so Moses realizes there's something miraculous taking place here. And so he stops and he makes a conscious choice to look just a little bit closer. And I think that's a moment in our walk, in our faith journey that we all have to come to where we we'll call it your burning bush moment, if you will, where you view the miraculous all around you, you, you and you determine, am I going to accept that, that there's, there's a God behind all of this? That there really is a God that's, that created this, is in charge of all this, or do we just keep going on like we've always been going? Moses looked and he saw this And he took it in and he realized there's something miraculous here. And because of that that pause in his life, he got to experience something incredible. Poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning said that earth is literally crammed with heaven. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. You see, the one who sees the miracles of of just, just daily life. We look around this room that there's miracles in this room. The fact that we're breathing, the fact that we're here free to worship God this morning is a miracle. One that looks around and sees the handiwork of, of the creator in every minute detail of the cosmos. The, the, the one that stops and just looks a little deeper and sees God behind it all. That there's, there is a, a God there. That's the one who gets to take their shoes off and as the Bible says, walk on holy ground. There's a lot of explanations for God telling Moses to take off his shoes. The ground wasn't inherently special or holy. The ground was holy because God was there. 
And God is holy. Some say that taking off his shoes represented complete submission to God, complete submission to God's will. And I believe that's true at this point in Moses' life. Some say it's similar to the respect that you may show when you go into somebody's house, their home, and you you take off your shoes. You're not bringing that stuff in. But Moses had been rejected by the Egyptians at this point in his life. He'd also been rejected by his own people, the Hebrews. Now he's living in a foreign land among strangers. And here God is essentially taking him in. And it's almost like God is saying, welcome home, son. This is holy ground. And sometimes we think that that Moses took his shoes off because he didn't want to put his shoes. And God didn't want to put his shoes on this ground that is holy. But I think at the same time, it's almost like God is graciously letting Moses How many people have walked through the mud barefooted before? It's almost like God is allowing Moses to touch this holy ground and feel it between his toes because it was that special. If you want a burning bush moment with God and you want to walk on holy ground, I think you need to look around your life and see where God is working the most and then jump into that holy ground and follow God where he's already at work. We'll talk more about that tonight. Secondly, in verses 6 through 8, is that God cares for those who are His. So God continues speaking and He tells Moses, Moses, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then He says, Jacob, and there's something remarkable. Really the first time God says this. He says, I've seen the misery or the suffering of who? My people. These are my people down there that are suffering. I've been watching them, Moses. I've been listening and and I've heard their cries. I haven't forgotten the promise that I made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. And I've come down to rescue them, to rescue them from the Egyptians. But not only that, not only free them from slavery and not only uh, rescue them from their suffering, but I'm going to bring them into a land, a promised land that is flowing with milk and honey. How many would think that's a pretty strange sounding deal? I'm going to take you to a place that's flowing with milk and honey. Because when I think of milk and honey, I think about going to the store and getting a gallon of cow's milk. And I think about a jar of honey. But what Moses has in mind, and when God said this, he was thinking of a land where the goats could pasture and they could uh, raise kids and they could have plenty of goat's milk. I know we don't drink that, but that's what Moses was thinking. They could have plenty of milk. Their flocks could multiply. And they wasn't talking about bees, honey. They were talking about the sweet syrup that comes from these dates that, that God's people could live off of and could sustain them for generations. You see, God cares for His people. God tells Moses there's a bunch of people living in this land, but it doesn't just belong to one nation. That land has never belonged to one people. God mentions at least seven in this passage of Scripture alone. But the promised land has always belonged to God's people. He gave it to Abraham many, many years ago. And from that time, it's never truly belonged to anyone else. It was united under King David around 1000 B.C. as the nation of Israel. It was reunited after the Babylon invasion until it was destroyed and and, and sacked by the Romans in 70 A.D. And then once again, it was united as a Jewish state on May 14th, 1948 and continues to be the 
land of God's people even today. And you think about, well, I think we forget how important this is, how God has preserved this group of people, this family of people through war, through invasion, through exile, through holocaust, through attack after attack. And the point is that if you belong to God, I believe with all my heart, you can trust that God will take care of you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to go through the fire. But it means when you go through the fiery furnace, God will be standing there with you and going through that beside of you. And thank God because of Christ, today we Gentiles have been grafted into this branch of humanity and we can also be called God's people. I'm sure Moses was getting getting excited about this good news as we get excited about the good news of the gospel. But then notice what God does next. Verses 9 and 10. God sends those... Whom he calls. God says, I've heard the cry, Moses. I see how the Egyptians are mistreating them. Therefore, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you to Egypt. You go back into this foreign nation, into this dark and sinful place, into the place that represents sin and slavery and darkness. You go and you lead my people out of slavery. You know, you can imagine... I think Moses probably liked the way everything sounded up to that point, right? I've heard their cries. I'm going to set them free. But by the way, I want you to go and and do the work. What does this sound like? This sounds to me very much like the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. God says, hey, there's this problem in the world. My people are out there. They're beaten up. They're enslaved by sin. They're being mistreated. They're dying and going to hell. And Jesus says, go therefore and lead them out. Make disciples of all the nations. Go into the Egypt and into the dark places. Take them the good news and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And God teaches Moses in this moment something that we desperately need to learn. And that's that God's solution to all the problems in the world. It's you and it's me. God's solution to getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's us. The church, we are God's solution to that problem of lostness. His solution for getting the gospel to your neighbors, to your friends, to your lost family members is guess who? It's you. He says, I'm sending you of all people, (laughs) of all the people I could send, I'm sending you. So we have to be willing to go and God's going to take care of all the rest. And that's what we see him do in the life of Moses. We'll go through this. Our job is to simply in obedience to go wherever God says to go. And remember, the commission doesn't come without a promise. That's our fourth lesson. This this is to me one of the greatest things that we can take home with us. And that's that God is with those whom he sends. When God says go, whether it's to go across the street and talk to your neighbor, or it's to go to Brazil this summer, or if it's to go and live in some faraway foreign place and share with them the gospel, you can rest assured that your God will go before you. He'll go with you. But like us, Moses had some questions. What's the first thing he said? He says, well, wait a minute, God. Who am I? Who am I that, that, that I should go? And this question, it sounds like doubt, it sounds like disbelief, but I think there's something more here. I think what we're seeing in Moses very early on is this is an indication of a humble heart. 
And I think it's where we need to find ourselves when God says go. And it's not doubting. It's not questioning God's uh, right to tell us where to go and, and when to go. But it's admitting and acknowledging that, you know, God, yeah, you're telling me to go. I don't, I don't think I'm up to the task. I don't think I'm up to the task of, of reaching the nations. God, who am I even that I should speak your truth? Who am I that I should open up your word and proclaim your gospel? Or, or even sit before these kids every Sunday morning in Sunday school and teach them your word? Who, who am I to, to get on this stage and, and sing your praises before your people? Do you really know me, Lord? You know who, you know who you're talking to here? In early American history... As we were looking for great leaders to lead us out of the oppression of tyranny, there was a, a phrase that was commonly used to describe the humility in the leaders that we were looking for. And John Adams wrote in a letter, and the, the, the phrase was the meekness of Moses. And John Adams, our second president, wrote in a letter. He said, the management of so complicated and mighty a machine as the United Colonies requires the meekness of Moses... The patience of Job and the wisdom of Solomon added to the valor of Daniel. I wish we would look for leaders with those qualities today. You see, there's nothing wrong with asking the question, who am I? We, we all ask that. Lord, who am I? But, but God's response to Moses, and it's the same to us today, is don't worry about who you are. That's not as important. Worry about who I am. Because I am going to be with you. He says, I will certainly go with you. And when Jesus stood before his disciples one last time and he, he issued the great commission and he gave them this impossible task of reaching and discipling the nations, surely those men thought just for a minute, Lord, do you know who you're talking to here? I'm sure some of them were thinking, Lord, Peter just denied you just not so long ago. We all ran and hid for, for our lives not so long. Do you know who you're talking? Have you gotten to know us any over the past three and a half years? But Jesus concludes what is, with what has been called the promise of the ages. And he says, surely I will be with you even to the end of the age. You may not always have the words. You may not always know what to say. But God will be with you. You may not always have the courage to take the next step, but God is going to walk with you. There's going to be days when you don't always have the strength, but God is strong and God is going to be there with you. Today, you can rest assured that if God has called you to something, if God is sending you, He's going to be with you. And that takes us to the, the last point this morning, number five. And that's that God loves the unlovable. He said, Pastor, how did you get that from these final verses here? God introducing himself. Well, that right there is in God's name. First thing Moses asked was, who am I? God says, well, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Don't matter who you are. And now Moses asked very logically, well, you're going to be with me, but who are you? And remember, God has already been asked this before. What did Jacob, didn't he ask God the same question? He said, hey, tell me your name. And God wouldn't do it. But now finally, for the first time in Scripture, God reveals Himself as He truly is. He says, Moses, so simple, so profound. I am who I am. Aya Asher Aya. I am who I am or I will be who I will be. It's where we get this, the name Jehovah or Yahweh in our Bibles. And God is simply saying, Moses... 
I'm just the God who is. There is no other. I am. And then he tells Moses, tell them this. Tell them that Yahweh, that I am, that the God of your ancestors, God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. Now, now, this has always perplexed me. God introduces himself and we go through this list of names. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And God's changed Abram, Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham. Remember that story? And then we have Isaac. And God changed Jacob's name to Israel, instead of saying, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, when God reveals himself to the world, and for the first time in Scripture, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and not Israel, but Jacob. You know, I've always wondered why that is. The more I've thought about it and the more I've prayed about it, I think God very subtly is reminding us that our God... He's the God of the Jacobs. He's not just the God of the Abrahams and the God of the Isaacs. He says, Moses, I know who you are. I know that you're a murderer. I know that you've been hiding in this wilderness for 40 years as a nobody. But listen, I'm the God of the nobodies too. I'm the God of imperfect people like, like Jacob. Moses, I'm going to be your God when you do great things. And I'm, going to be, I'm still going to be your God when you just blow it. I am your God. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And that, that's how I'm going to be remembered forever. As a God who loves the unlovable. As the God that goes after those who cannot be reached. As a God who takes those that are unusable and lifts them up and uses them in ways that nobody ever dreamed they could be used. So today, if you feel like you're just a nobody with nothing to offer... But you know God has this plan for your life. You know that he has a purpose for you. His word says that. He's given you these marching orders to, to reach and disciple the nations. And you know he's going to be with you. Know that God likes nobodies. And he uses them. And I'll leave you the words for this song. I think this, the lyrics to this song are so fitting for Moses and for us. And it's kind of become the theme of my life as well. And maybe you can relate very honest he says why you ever chose me and I can just hear Moses writing this and he didn't uh, somebody else did but why you ever chose me has always been a mystery all my life I've been told that I belong at the end of the line with all the other not quites with all the other never get it rights but it turns out they're the ones you've been looking for all this time. Moses had stage fright. And David brought a rock to a sword fight. You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen. And you changed this world. Well, the moral of the story is that everybody's got a purpose. So when I hear the devil start talking to me saying, Who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody. Trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. And ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. And now I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. Stand together and let us pray. Lord, 
Moses had many questions. He understood who he was. He understood his limitations. He understood his vulnerabilities and his weaknesses. And God, what's the place we find ourselves this morning? So little to offer. Just some nobodies. But Lord, just like you reminded Moses in Exodus chapter 3, that doesn't matter. You are the great I am. Everything that we are not, you are. And God, we are humble that you have chosen us and asked us to be the messengers of the good news. Lord, you have called us Christians, every single one of us, to make you more known in this world, to raise up the next generation of followers of Christ and disciple them. And Lord, it is a daunting task that we are not equipped for. But God, I thank you that you you are strong in all of our weaknesses, that you have a plan for us in spite of our many failures, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of where we come from. God, you have a purpose for us. And God, I pray that this morning that we would leave here with an obedient heart like Moses. And as he goes forward, God, we're going to see you do great and mighty things through this man. And God, it's my prayer that you would also do things like this in our life. That you would use us to reach those who cannot be reached otherwise. To reach our lost friends and family and those at our workplace. God, use us to raise up our children to follow you. And thank you for the promise that you will be with us every step of the way. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's never taken that first step of obedience and they need to be saved this morning or they need to be baptized, God, I pray that you would just press upon their heart to make that choice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we sing a song of invitation this morning. Of course, you can come and pray. If you'd like to be prayed for, if there's a decision you'd like to share with your church, why don't you come this morning as we sing. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.